Okay, today we're going to be talking about the love of God and how it endures forever. And I'm going to be reading from Psalm 106. We'll be looking at Israel and what Israel has done and the difficult times that they went through, the time of their rebellion, them not believing in God, and basically, as what First Peter 1 says, um, excuse me, first, uh, Second Peter 1, <clears throat> where it says that those who bear the fruit of the flesh are those who have forgotten what God has done, the good that God has done. And we're going to look at how Israel forgot the good that God has done and how God's love was still active towards them. We're going to look at that. Many times we go through difficult times and we forget the goodness of God. I think it will be good if we just go and read that passage in um, in Second Peter. And it says here in verse, uh, let me just find the right verse here. I'm going to read from verse 5, just so we can get a bit of a context here. It says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure... In other words, if you just continue to increase in the life of God, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But who does not have them in um, is, in other words, who doesn't have these qualities, is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. So uh, we can then see the key that Peter gives here. A key to a holy life is not forgetting what God has freely given you in Jesus. <laughs> that is how we walk in a holy life, by not forgetting what God has freely given us in Jesus. It says here that if you're not living in a, uh, having these beautiful attributes of the love of God inside your life, it's not because you are just bad and because uh, you, I think, sometimes willfully just want to do these things. But he says it's, be, it's a memory problem. Uh, you are forgetting that you have been cleansed from your sins. So it's very important to continue to look back at what God has done for you in Jesus and keep that in memory. In other words, keep in memory that Jesus died for you. Keep in memory that he rose from the dead. Keep in memory that he is Lord. Keep in memory that he conquered your sin and conquered your death. I've explained it last Sunday. Um, I don't know if I did in the English message, but in the Afrikaans I definitely did. And that was the whole baptism of John. Keep in memory that when Jesus Christ was baptized into the sin of the world, carrying the sin of the world, died, rose again, that the sin that he was baptized into was not that of himself, but that of humanity he became a human. And he vividly portrayed that he could enter into the death of humanity and be raised from it and so forgive or deliver us from what keeps us in bondage and make us free. As we keep this in memory, the power of his resurrection, the power of his salvation, the power of his love, as we keep that in memory, we will find that we walk in abundance of life. And it's basically defined as a sin to forget what God has freely given unto you. But are you going to see here that Israel did forget sometimes 
God reminded them, they would forget and it will go bad with them because the moment you forget the good that God has done for you and you are now short-sighted, in other words, you don't see back to what God has done, but you only see what's around you here, you will find that it tortures you. It uh, affects your heart. It affects how you look at things. Uh, It affects your actions, how you want to solve your own problems by your own power. But if you're not short-sighted or... yeah, I think that's the word short-sighted. Then, if you if you just see the if you don't just see the things around you, but you can see a little bit back into the past, looking at how God has been faithful to you, how He has provided for you, how He has cared for you. It's like Jesus, even with His disciples, when they worried about the bread and said, "How are we going to feed these people?" Jesus says, "Can't you remember that I did feed the five thousand? What's wrong with your memory?" Are you forgetting that I'm good? Because I've always been good. When they're in the storm, then they've already forgotten that God has been good to them. And I want to just say to you and bring to your memory that God has been good to you so many times. I don't know what it is with humans. I find it in my own life. And that is when we see a problem right in front of us, it's as if we stare into this very problem, but we forget the good that he has given unto us while we also had mistakes in our lives. If you look back to your life, the history of your life, you'll find that God was good to you uh, for many years in your life. He actually brought Jesus Christ to you and convinced your heart of his goodness and his love while you were living in sin. And then you'll find, even after you've accepted Jesus Christ, while you've had shortcomings in your life, God still cared for you. He still provided for you. I think one of the videos that I have on um, on YouTube that's got the most views has got to do with, uh, you know, how do you deal with uh, something that you know you've done wrong and in your relationship with God? And that is simply to know that Previous times when you've done something wrong, he's always been there for you and he's loved you. And he's, he knew that the thing that you're going to do today, yesterday God knew about that. But yesterday when he blessed you, he did it knowing that you will do something wrong today. And he was just who he was towards you. The wrong that you do does affect your own heart. And I think it's not a good thing to do. But should it take place, it is not going to change God's heart and God's mind towards you. He is going to remain who he is. He cannot change. He is love and he'll always show love towards you. We're going to look at that and we're going to look at how we pray in our lives when we are, excuse me, when we are in a very, very difficult time. Uh, When you're in a difficult time, you might think, Lord, I need salvation here. And many times what we will do is we'll remind ourselves on how God provided for Noah, a preacher of righteousness. We'll remind ourselves on how he provided for Abraham who lived by faith. We'll remind ourselves on how he cared for uh, David, a man after his own heart. But I think it's also sometimes good to remind yourself of how God was faithful to the unfaithful. 
Because there might be times when you don't feel like Noah, the preacher of righteousness, or where you might not feel like uh, that, that you've walked in the great faith of Abraham, or you might not feel that you are a man after God's own heart like David. You might feel like what Israel felt when they have failed and when they've been in their sin, when they've done things wrong. Uh, you might feel like that. And I think we can also keep that in front of our eyes where they have failed, but how God acted towards them and how he still brought salvation for them. Now, let's get right into Psalm chapter 2. Excuse me, Psalm 106 verse 1 and 2. It says the following, it says, Praise the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Now he says why is good, there's a semicolon explaining why God is good. It says, for his love endures forever. His love endures forever. Some translation says his mercy endures forever. The, the mercy of God, the grace of God, all of that uh, derives from God being love. Because God is love, uh, from that love we find things like mercy and grace and kindness and all of that flowing from the very being of God. So it says here, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Who can proclaim the mighty acts of God? So what he's actually saying is that the mighty acts of God is so great that it is actually not even possible for man to truly proclaim it. Who can proclaim the mighty acts of God or fully declare his praise? I mean, Imagine that. Imagine a person is so praiseworthy that it is not within the um, capacity of a human being to proclaim his praise. Imagine a person is so holy and full of love that uh, you cannot find a person that can truly proclaim his mighty acts fully because his mighty acts is greater than what we can actually see. Like that word forever there, when it says his love endures forever, that word forever means, uh, in the Hebrew it means beyond what a human can see, into the unseen, or it also means beyond the future. Now, I mean, we only have a, the concept of past present and future it says here his love endures to even beyond the future so we're not sitting with something that has got an end it is beyond the past it is in the present and it is beyond it is in the future and beyond the future the love of god now imagine somebody would use those words when he writes the psalms you know so the psalm writer comes and he writes and he says give thanks to the lord for he is good his love endures even beyond the future who can proclaim these mighty acts 
I mean, can, we can already see that we are in a loss of words to explain just uh, the longevity of his love. It's beyond the future. It's something we cannot. And even beyond that, we, we cannot explain it properly. Now, with that said, I says, here he, he, he goes, the psalm writer, and he says, God is so good. God is so loving. He goes on to say, remember me, Lord, when you show favor to your people. In other words, God is one that shows favor. Come to my aid when you save them. And he talks about the salvation. And then he goes now to verse 6, and he says, we have sinned even as our ancestors did when uh, we have done wrong and acted wickedly. So we find here that the psalm writer looks at himself, but he also likens who he is and who the nation is at that moment to the ancestors. The ancestors he now is referring to the people that was led out of Egypt. He says here, we have sinned, even as our ancestors did. We have done wrong and acted wickedly. Now listen to what they did. When our ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. They did not remember your many kindnesses. And they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. So he says, this is the sin these people have committed. They gave no thought to your miracles. In other words, not what God just promises he will do, but what he has done. Giving thought to what he has done. I find in my own life it's a very powerful thing to just think a bit about what God has done for me and for Helena. It's a powerful thought to think that um, when we were preaching in Malawi in a Muslim village and people picked up stones to stone us and I saw them doing it and I just rebuked them in the name of Jesus everything just dropped to the floor you know and there was just a massive miracle that took place if I think of how God has saved me from many many instances traveling through Africa where I should have been dead if I think of how God has provided financially for us, if I think of how God has provided as pertaining to health uh, for us, many miracles that did take place. If I think of that, it's very powerful. If I think of how God has provided this this uh, studio, the the uh, the house we live in, if I think of those miracles and ponder upon them, uh, I mean, that is a righteous act to think of the good that God has done for us in our lives. And he says, we have sinned even as our ancestors did. We have done wrong and acted wickedly. And here is now the wrong they've done and the wicked act. When our ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles. The miracles was the ten plagues that God brought over the Egyptians. They did not remember your many kindnesses, how, how God has been kind to them, and they rebelled by the Red Sea. I want to just read to you the rebellion at the Red Sea there, Exodus 14. Now, I don't want you to feel negative when we look at these negative things. We're going to end off in a very positive note, but I, I want to show you how God was good even in the deepest sin of these people. Exodus 14. I'm going to read 
uh, from verse 10. This is now uh, when they were at the Red Sea. It says, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Now listen to what they said. This is now after God has led them out, after the... Um, the firstborn died after the ten plagues, after the miracle that's happening here. He says, was it because, this is what they say to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? I mean, what a thing to say as God's leading you out. What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians. So in other words, these people, while God wanted to lead them out, they said, leave us alone, we want to serve the Egyptians. Didn't we tell you we want to do that? And then you come with your God, and you still lead us out. And now that we are led out, now we are at this Red Sea, and uh, it wasn't, did you bring us here because there's not enough graves in Egypt, to die here? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Now, does that look like a prayer of faith? (laughs) Listen to God's answer through Moses to the people when they accuse him. Remember, this whole leading out is God, seeing their pain. Wanting to lead them out. God answers through Moses. He says, Moses answered the people. Do not be afraid. Stand firm. You will see the deliverance of the Lord that he will bring to you today. Oh, you are saying we should have stayed in Egypt. You should have left us there. We didn't want to come out. We didn't want to follow God here. We didn't want to be led out. We wanted to serve the Egyptians. We didn't want freedom. Then you did bring us out kind of against our will to a certain degree here. And now we are here and it's just so that we're just going to die. And then he says, let me tell you what God says. Today you will see deliverance. I mean, that just flies in the face of positive confession theology. These people didn't, didn't confess positive, but we find God faithful. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff, stretch it out over the sea and to divide the water so the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. My goodness, isn't that just... (laughs) Imagine you want to be good to somebody, and they speak to you the way these Israelites spoke to God. You'll say, man, go to hell. Die. Wicked people. Don't care. You know? But what does God do? He's made a promise to the whole nation... And although there will be a lot of individuals dying as they don't believe in the Lord because they are given over to their own devices, we find that God made a promise to Abraham, to a nation, unto people that will believe upon Jesus Christ, and he shows his faithfulness. Right, let's go to the second thing they did. It says here, But soon... It says here in verse 13, But soon they forgot what he had done. See again, they forget what he has done. 
and did not wait for his plan to unfold. In the desert, they gave in to their cravings. In the wilderness, they put God to the test. So he gave to them what they asked for. So these people then started to die, but that is God giving to them what they asked for. It says here, they forgot They did not remember the good that God has done. They didn't wait for his plan to unfold. In the desert, they gave in to their own cravings. In the wilderness, they put God to the test. So they said, God said to them, okay, if this is what you want, then have it. It's almost like a child that disobeys a parent and the parent says to him, I don't think it's good for you to go into this kind of a business. And then the child decides and pushes for it and whatever until the father then says, okay, do it. And then the person there becomes sick and ill and suffers and whatever. It is not the father bringing it over him. It is the father basically saying to the child, go and have whatever you want to have. Goes on in verse 16, says, in the camp they grew envious of Moses. Another thing they did. And um, they became envious of Moses and Aaron. And after they became envious of Moses and Aaron, the same thing happened. Well, you, you want to walk in the power of yourself? Destruction came upon them. Destruction is not from God. Destruction is as from the beginning in Genesis. If you eat of this tree, you will die. God offers the tree of life. But God says, there's only life inside me. Outside of me, there is not. So they they even grew envious of Moses. This is now while God's leading them out. The fourth thing, at Horeb, they made a calf and worship an idol that was cast from metal. They exchanged the glorious God for an image of a bull which eats grass. Imagine that. They exchange worshipping God for the image of a bull that eats grass. That's terrible. It's not a good thing to do. Somebody does that to me. You know, you might be tempted to have the spirit of slap on you. Now it says in verse 21, they forgot the God who saved them. Can you see it's got a lot to do with memory of what God has done. And that's where we are today as Christians. We should not forget what God has done for us. And what he's done for us, he died, was raised from the dead, Jesus is Lord. They forgot the God who saved them, who had done great things in Egypt, miracles in the land of Ham, the awesome deeds by the Red Sea. So he said, um, so he said, would I, that he, that he, so he said, let me destroy them. Moses came and said, uh, no, don't do this. He was standing in the gap for them. So God came to a point and we see that he's using uh, basically language that is between humans to explain what was going on in the heart of God. God said to Moses, I think it was basically saying to Moses, Moses, these people are never going to believe. Uh, you are believing me. Let me continue with a promise through you and through you a descendants will be raised up and my promise to the nation Israel will remain true and I'm not going to let anything come between us and between this promise that I want to bring. That is what he's saying. It says even in verse 8, they despised the pleasant land. 
They did not believe his promise. They grumbled in their tents. So they despised the promised land. So he leads them out, brings them into the desert, shows them the promised land. That's where you must go in. Then they despise it. Imagine that. Verse 6, ach, no, so verse six, the sixth point. They yoked themselves, this is terrible, to Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to lifeless gods that aroused the Lord's anger by their wicked deeds and a plague broke, broke out against them. The arousing of the Lord's anger should be seen as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, uh, it is the, the wrath of God uh, that was revealed. Wrath of God is not God being angry and slapping on people. The wrath of God is basically to give people over to, um, to what they really want and to say, I'm not partnering with your system. I don't have time to teach on that. There is teaching on the wrath of God on my uh, YouTube channel there. And a plague broke out. Phineas came and stopped that. I'm not going to get into that. It says, by the water of Meribah, they angered the Lord. Trouble came to Moses because of them, for they rebelled against the Spirit of God, and rash words came from Moses. In other words, they even rebelled there again. The eighth point, they did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mingled with the nations and adopted their customs. They worshipped their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their own sons and their daughters to false gods. They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was discredited by their blood. They defiled themselves by what they did. By their deeds they prostituted themselves. I mean sacrificing their own children to false gods. Forgetting the good that God was doing. In the midst of all of the, these things, I mean God is still there with them. It says, the Lord was angry with his people. That anger again, he, and he gives them over. And this is what is, where it's written. It says, he abhorred, uh, they abhorred his inheritance. He gave them into the hands of the nations. So it says here, God gave them into the hands of the nations. So let me explain that. These people are saying, well, we don't want to follow God. We want to follow the gods of these other nations. God gave them into the hands of the nations. That would give there, one of the meanings in the Hebrew to give into the hands of the nations was to put in the care of. So he says, okay, I'm caring for you, but you want to go to these people, then I'll give you over to them, then they must care for you. And you know what happens when they don't care for God's people properly? Then he takes revenge on them. It would almost be, and I've used this example this morning speaking to somebody, it's, if, if my son says he doesn't want to do clean business, but he wants to go into, the, into drugs and sell drugs, and I say no, and he continues to the point that I cannot do anything about it, then I say, okay, go and do whatever you must do. And then I find that some drug lord or whatever wants to kill my son, then I will say, that's my son. I'm not going to allow a drug lord to ill-treat my son. If my son, even if it is not a good place, goes over to their care and they don't care for him, then I'll make sure that they get punished because I'm caring for my son. 
That's God's attitude. It says, if we read on, their foes ruled over them, their enemies oppressed them and subjected them to their power. Many times God delivered them, but they were bent on rebellion and they wasted away in their sin. I mean, that is, I mean, a long, I mean, that is now, we're talking about 40-something verses talking about the rebellion of Israel. And now we come to the crux of the whole thing. It says, many times he delivered them, but they were bent on rebellion and they wasted away in their sin. Yet he took note of their distress when he heard their cry in their own pain. For their sakes he remembered his covenant and out of his great love he relented. He caused all who held them captive to show them mercy. Imagine that. With that in mind, we find a change in the, in the tense of the writing where everything was about past tense now, remembering how evil the Jews were, but how good God was. And now we find a prayer wherein remembrance of the goodness of God is brought to the forefront. And now the prayer is as follows. Remember past tense? Now he goes to present tense. He says, save us. Lord our God, and gather us from the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Isn't that beautiful? So we find, find the psalm writer saying, our ancestors have sinned, we have sinned. This is what our ancestors have done. We've done the same. But I remember that even if they were hell-bent on rebellion against God, you even caused these people, when you saw your own people in pain, you, you, you caused those who oppressed your people to show them mercy. And then, save us, Lord. Can you see where the salvation prayer lies? It doesn't lie in how you even repent of your sin, of how you try to live right. The salvation prayer lies in this one thing, and that is that God's love could endure all that Israel has done, and that we can come boldly before the love of God to help us and assist us in difficult times. Glory to God. With that in mind, we're now going to Romans, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 13. And we're going to look at the Greek meaning of these words. It says, let me read it from the um, NIV. Do you know what a confidence this brings to a person's heart when you pray to God? Because the, the accusation in the human heart is, have you done something wrong? Have you done something wrong? It's even like, and those of you that know that I've been involved in this court case, um, when you think back of what happened, your mind wants to jump to, have I, done, have I really done something wrong? I don't think I've done something wrong. But then there's a, a, you, you think again, have I not been wrong? But at the end of the day, 
the right or the wrong is not the issue. Because we find Israel being wrong all the time. But God is merciful. And what the enemy wants to do when we are going through difficult times, and this can be with marriage, this can be with relationship with your children, this can be at your work, and all those kind of things, you can ask yourself the question all the time, have you been wrong? Why do you want to ask yourself the question, have you been wrong? I mean, obviously it can be an honest question to think, well, have I been wrong? I don't want to do this again, and I I want to live a, a good, honorable life. But should the question be, have I been wrong as a foundation of justification, you're in trouble. Because we're not dealing with a God that deals with us based on our works. We deal with a God that has dealt with Israel all the time, and we look at the history as something that we should remember about the goodness of God. And we would say, our God is a God that reaches out to the oppressed. The oppressed that are oppressed because of their own rebellion even. Those who have rejected the oracles of God, that have rejected the uh, laws of the Lord and His Word and brought themselves into destruction. When the Lord redeems our life from destruction, it obviously includes the destruction we bring over ourselves. And as we see this pain come over Israel, we find God's mercy showing again. And God has got a message all the time. I'm a God of love. I'm a God of love. I'm a God of love. Believe upon me. Call upon me. And we see here um, that his love endures forever. So it says here, and I I just want to finish that thought. So whenever we look at our lives, when we look at a difficult thing in our life, and we ask, are we right or are we wrong? We don't ask, are we right or are we wrong, as a foundation for justification. Paul says, I don't even find anything wrong in my own life by my own opinion, but I'm not justified by that. I'm justified by Jesus Christ, who is Lord, who has promised me eternal life. Okay, listen to this verse. This is now 1 Corinthians 13. Talks talks about love. It says, let's read from verse 4. Love is patient and kind and does not envy. It's not, it doesn't boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. Love never fails. Now, Uh, When it says that love never fails, I first want to say this, that the word love, the word love in the King James here is the word charity. Now, charity is more than a feeling of love. Charity is basically an action that takes place based on the feeling of love that produces compassion. So charity is, um, the best word for charity that would be uh, a synonym would be compassion like the 
man that was moved with compassion, the good Samaritan. He had compassion. The Bible says, love your neighbor. Then, then they asked Jesus, who is our neighbor? Then he told the parable. He said there was a Samaritan and there was a Jew that fell amongst thieves next to the road. And the Levite went past, the priest went past. But then a good Samaritan, a Samaritan came and he had compassion on him and helped him. So compassion is the action of helping somebody. It's the emotion that goes over into action. And that is what Jesus defines as loving your neighbor. So love, having charity, is an action that was born from the innermost being that is moved when you see someone in distress. When you see value going to waste and you, and you are moved. That is what love is. So it says your love never fails. Remember, we've just read love never fails in Psalm 106. Now, I want to look at that word fail. That word fail. Um, means i mean it's got a lot of meanings and i think we're going to go through a lot of them because it's so so powerful i've just noted down some of them here it means uh it is not overcome by terror to fail for love to fail means uh if, if we say love does not fail it says love is not overcome by terror love is not astonished love does not fall under judgment and come under condemnation one of the meanings here for fail is love would not suddenly uh, drop dead or falling dead suddenly it also means it cannot be attacked by an evil spirit so when love never fails, it says love is never attacked by an evil spirit. An evil spirit cannot attack God. God's love for you, when it says love never fails, means love will never be overcome by terror. doesn't matter what terror there is. It cannot overcome the compassion of God that moves into action. We've seen it in Israel there. God's love can never be astonished at the wrong that man is in. It's not never at the place where we say, wow, I've never expected this. This is more than what I can bear. It is, um, it makes me think of the movie Tombstone where Doc Holliday met Johnny Ringo at the end of the, meet, of, of the movie and uh, Doc Holliday, you know, they were in a, a shootout there and Ringo didn't make it. And he just said, it's, and Doc Holliday said, well, uh, it, it, the, I think he says the strain was more than he could bear. And this is the same thing. The love of God, there's nothing that it cannot bear. It's not going to drop dead all of a sudden. And it cannot be overcome by or even be attacked by an evil spirit. It says here that love cannot decay and be dispersed of as a corpse that decays. 
Love cannot decay like a corpse. Love cannot be lost or ruined. That's the word for fail there. It means to be lost. God cannot lose his love. It cannot be ruined. You cannot ruin God's love. It cannot be cast down is one of the meanings. Another meaning is it cannot fall from prosperity. If love, God's love can never be at a place where it's poor and it cannot prosper. To um, fail also means to lose authority. To lose authority. God's love can never lose authority. And the last meaning that I'm going to put an emphasis on and then we're going to talk about that is it can never not participate. can never be uninvolved. It can never be at a place where it would not participate. So when the scripture says charity or love never fails, it means it's immortal, undying, above reproach, at a place where it cannot be attacked, where it cannot be overcome, where it will never be at a place where it cannot prosper, where it can never lose authority, and will never fail to participate. Isn't that absolutely powerful? That is so, so powerful. And that is what we're going to look at quickly in John 3.16. And uh, then we're just going to read two other verses and end off with that. Let's just read John 3.16. We know this verse so well, but when we read it, it is just so powerful. Look at how the love of God participates, how it's got all authority. It says here, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him, believes on him would be, be reminded of who and what he is, of his goodness, shall not perish but have eternal life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whosoever believes is not condemned, but whosoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's only son. So the only thing that can save us is the love of God. It cannot be overcome. Let us believe and rely upon that and stop to stand in the solitude of self. That is what the word there says. I want to quickly go and look at Psalm uh, 103. It says, Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my innermost being, praise his holy name. Forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit or from death and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfy your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles, talking about eternal life that he wants to give. Psalm 32.
We'll just read verse 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sins the Lord does not count against them, and whose spirit, in whose spirit is no deceit. So, isn't it beautiful that we can be declared blessed today because we know that our God, as the scripture says here, the one who, blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them. When God looked at Israel and their sins, he said, they cannot deliver themselves from their sins. And he remembered his covenant that he made for them and for their sakes to help them. He even brought tenderness of heart to their enemies so that their enemies would have mercy upon them. And this is after 43 verses of how they were disobedient over hundreds of years, being stubborn all the time. And the psalm writer starts out and say, the love of God endures forever. He explains how terror of the terrible things the Jews did could not overcome the love of God. Their rebellion couldn't overcome the love of God. He remains a God of love. Now, by that I'm not saying all people will be saved. By that I'm saying is this, the love that God has towards you cannot be affected by what you've done. You can always know that he sees you in your distress. He's available to save you. And his name, which is the self-existing eternal God of life, Savior, is always available to you. His hand is always outstretched towards you and he holds on to you what you can do is you can say i believe upon you lord and then uh, stop with the self-destruction that you bring over yourself by trying to save your own life and simply resting in the love that god has portrayed in the death and the resurrection of jesus christ let me read the last verse this is really the last one romans Chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. And this is a quote from the Psalms. He says here, Paul now quotes this in Romans. He says, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered, blessed is the one whose sins the Lord never count against them. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him for righteousness. Under, that circ under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after but before. And he received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So here we can see again, God's love was towards the uncircumcised, the unfaithful, those that did not do good in their own works, basically to an idol-worshipping heathen, if you want to call it like that, Abraham. He came and made a promise unto him, saying, it is not right, that your wife cannot bear children and that your name would die out. 
I don't want your name to die out. I want to give you eternal life, Abraham. And he gave him a son, brought life to him because God says, death is not right. I've come to promise life. Amen. Isn't that a good, good God that we have? Glory to God. Let us pray together. Father, thank you so much that we can know that you are a God that is only good. And if we look at all the evils that Israel has done, we see that you are good. And by that, we put into our mind, by your spirit, the memory of your goodness towards people that were even in rebellion and in pain. And when you saw the pain that was over them, even because of their own rebellion, compassion arose in your heart and you brought salvation towards them and you brought relief and you've saved them many, many times. And thank you, Lord, that we can today call upon you and stand in your salvation. And thank you that your salvation that we believe upon now is the resurrection of Jesus, which is not a salvation that falls away and comes and those kind of things, but that we we are sealed by the life of your spirit as we simply rely upon your love for us. I declare every person that's watching this blessed by the love of God, blessed, by, blessed with a faithful God that cares for them, that has compassion, whose love never fails, whose love can never lose authority, and whose love will never uh, be uninvolved or not participate in their lives. Thank you that you are not a distant God, but a God that is near, that loves us and cares for us. From this love we bear fruit. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. Well, friends, thank you so much that you've slotted in. Uh, I've enjoyed this. This has just uplifted my heart, this message. I've studied this out yesterday as well and in the week, uh, knowing that God loves me. And God loves all of you. So thank you, everybody, for slotting in. If you want to remain in the um, remain online, you will just be divided into the different breakout groups where you can chat with one another and pray for one another. I will not be uh, he, next Sunday. We will not be having a service. We'll be on our way to Zambia. I think we will be leaving on Wednesday or uh, Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, we're just going to get our COVID test and then we'll be leaving for Zambia. So uh, you guys will be. Uh, informed on when we will have our next service. Thank you so much and God bless.